What's up, everybody? This is Marty Friedman, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and you guessed it, it's time for another episode of Focus on Metal. You know, I sit down to record this one this week, and I just happened to look at the pop filter on my microphone and realized that I've had it on there for so long that the front of it's actually worn flat. I don't think I've ever had a pop filter on this long without it being destroyed by something else. Bit of a new experience for me, so I guess I'm going to have to uh, probably hit Sweetwater and order myself up a, uh, a new pop filter or two. Anyways, you don't care about my studio crap. You want to know what is going on this week on the show. So, guess I will tell you, this week we have on our guest, Brandon Cook. You may know Brandon as the guitarist in Black and Blue, but uh, he has a brand new band out, and it is called The Loyal Order. And I think you guys are definitely going to want to check this band out. And I would definitely urge you to go up to YouTube and type in The Loyal Order, and you should get a video for a song called Ready for Dead. Really, really good song, and definitely going to be something that will carry through live. And the real bummer for me is when I you know, brought that thing up to listen to it, and because Richie... Got the uh, got the thing from the label. I had to go to YouTube. Oh, shit. But anyways, you know, I look on there and the first comment says, can't wait to see this live on Friday. And you realize that comment happened before this whole coronavirus crap just shut everything down. Just kind of a gut punch there because, again, you listen to the song and you realize this is material that is going to carry over really really well live and then i gotta also say and you know brandon will talk about it in the interview as well but uh you know the vocalist jeff he is just a great vocalist he's got a little bit of that david draymond vibe and maybe part of it is because when you look at him and especially from the side profile that you see on a video and a couple times it almost looks like the same profile as david but he definitely has a good range like him and i really like the fact that he's singing one way in the verses and then there's this whole other vocalization that's happening in the choruses and i can't wait to hear more material from the loyal order and i'm figuring that once you guys hear the interview this week with brandon cook that uh, you can't wait either but of course richie being richie and the fact that uh, brandon is also a part of black and blue and it's a band that richie really likes a lot and as you know we've talked to jamie st james and a few other guys that uh, he couldn't resist also getting a little bit of black and blue insight out of Brandon as well. And Brandon, being the cool shit that he is, was happy to oblige. And, you know, some people in that same position would really kind of be upset and want to keep it on track with the band they were promoting right now. But like I said, Brandon, super cool, willing to discuss anything that Richie was asking. It was kind of funny, too, because Richie would start talking about Loyal Order stuff and then all of a sudden throw in a black and blue thing and they go down a black and blue tangent and come back and talk about Loyal Order some more so good stuff in here from both things about loyal order and also things about uh black and blue and if you're wondering they do have a website it is called theloyalorder.com so with that what do you say that i turn it over to my buddy richie as he talks to brandon cook of black and blue and most importantly the loyal order hello this is brandon hi brandon it's richie here for the interview how are you doing i'm doing great man thanks for calling so before I get into it, Brandon, are you the Brandon Cook that's in black and blue? That's correct. Okay, because I got all I got sent was the press release for Re- Ready for Dead, and I mentioned nothing about that. So I'm like, okay, I, I recognize the name because I love black and blue. I loved them in the 80s when they came out, loved all the records. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I've interviewed wow. Jamie before. Uh, mm-hmm. about Without Love, their second record, went into in-depth with him about that. Um, mm-hmm. I recognize your name and I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask him first if he's in the band because I don't want to make a fool of myself if it's a different Brandon <laughs> Cook. <laughs> oh, no worries. Uh, I get mistaken all the time. No, um, but, uh, Patrick Young from Black and Blue is also in the band. Yeah, and Pete Holmes? Uh, Pete is in rat. He's not, he's not doing any sad gigs. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> So how many how many black and blue gigs had you lined up for later this year that now have been either postponed or cancelled? I think we have two. 
one of which I cannot talk about, but one is we were actually like starting to plan our drummer because uh, our, our Pete is not available to do black and blue gigs at the moment. So okay, uh, we're, we're, we're finding a, a, a new drummer, okay. that, uh, a replacement guy. Mm. How long have you been in the band? Black and blue? Yeah. Uh, I've since 2013, so seven years. Okay. Is, is that just because you live in Portland and the band are based there? Um, sort of, you know, like the, that's a good question. Um, well, we had a, we had a couple of guys audition. We had always had whoop Jeff Warner in the band before me. And then, um, when he left the band, they tried out, I think a couple of different guys and I just ended up being the best candidate. Cause I, I had the, I had gone through a few experiences that just led me to, to know how Patrick wanted a guitar player to play. And those, those, those attributes really lined up perfectly with his, we talked about it. He was just like, no, you're doing this thing and you're doing this thing. And I really love how you play like accurately. And what, what a lot of times happens is just when people go to join bands, they kind of, they get a little bit more of an overview of the song to make sure that they just know the song and then learn it in rehearsal, you know, and the way I've been taught has been just like, you have to have it album tight, exactly like the record on the first rehearsal. And that was my method. And he loved that. So that's mm. the main reason I'm in the band. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> because, at, at this stage, I think with, 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 you know, for want of a better word, they're, they're all nostalgia bands. There's a lot mm-hmm. of, there's right. a lot, of, there's a lot of members that, might change especially the guys that weren't in the band in the 80s because they probably have a lot of gigs like i'm sure you might have you know four or five different projects going at once you're probably doing studio work you might be doing some session work Mm -hmm. all these bands they want guys that are good enough to be able to get in there plug in and know the stuff straight away and and get the gig yeah and that's that's really what it is like a lot of what i the way i really learned how to do this work, I, I, I studied with Marty Friedman for a minute in 2003, and I was trying to get into his band, but at the time, I just wasn't really good enough. You know, I didn't know how to play the way he wanted anybody to play, really. I mean, they were just like, he was fresh out of Megadeth, and it was like, he's a really super razor-sharp accurate guitar player, and I wasn't at that place yet. And he just really methodically taught me how to do that thing. And I spent the last, since 2003, like learning that craft and honing it to the point where when I got into Black and Blue, um, when I ever had the opportunity to get into Black and Blue, it it uh, it really just presented itself. It was like, oh yeah, that's what you're supposed to do in this kind of band. <laughs> oh. But I, le- I practiced it, honing that and playing in a bunch of different tribute bands in Portland, Oregon, because there's tons of tribute bands here. And they, you know, you know, I have to play, I play Slash in a Guns N' Roses tribute band sometimes. I say play Slash, meaning like you act like him and, you know, you pay tribute to the guy. And, and I play, try to play like him, you know, it's like, I always sound like me playing Slash licks. And, you know, you kind of get it as close as you can with the, with the right guitar and the right amp and all that stuff, but you still sound like yourself. Mm. And, but, being able to play the licks right so that people believe it and create that sense of, as you said, nostalgia, you know, that's what you have to do. And then you get into a place like black and blue or you got Tommy Thayer. He's in one of the world's most famous bands and you, people go back and listen to those records and they're like, you got to sound like Tommy, like meaning like the fans, they want to hear me sound like Tommy Thayer. They don't want to hear me sound like, like Brandon Cook. Um, they want to hear me sound like, like Tommy. So I do my best to kind of give them my best impression of Tommy. And as I've gotten a little bit closer to the band, I've been playing a little bit more like me because they're like, yeah, dude, just play like you. And, and I've been trying to figure a way to play it more like myself in the band. It's a, it's a really fun gig. I like playing that music. Mm. Brandon, have you met Tommy Taylor at all? Yes, I have. He's a really great guy, and he he did a he put on a benefit for uh, Annette Holmes, who passed away of cancer recently. But they they did a um, 
they did a benefit for her in 2018 and he was just really sweet guy and just super nice and i ran into him at nam last year and he was, he was very kind to me. He was standing on stage with Eric Singer and he go, he pats Eric Singer on the arm and he goes, look, it's Brandon from Black and Blue. <laughs> I was like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, said, you said, Brandon, you were in a number of tribute bands. What's the guitarist that's hardest for you to nail down the style and the sound? Let's see. That's a good question. Um, at the time... Craig Ross from from Lenny Kravitz. That was a really tough one. Uh, I played I played in a Lenny Kravitz tribute band for a couple gigs. I can't remember if it was one gig or a couple, um, but that was a really tough tough sell for me because that music is all about groove and you know pocket and you know really playing with feeling. I play a lot with feeling anyway, but at the time it was a little fresh for me to play that kind of funky kind of music. And man, it was really tough to nail those sort of pentatonic rock licks that <laughs> those guys are known for. I, I'm I'm a good rock guitar player now, but then I was more of a, I was more of a fusion progressive rock guitar player. I was really into that kind of stuff. So playing, playing that kind of stuff, it was like, it was a really big challenge for me to, to get in the pocket and make it just ooze with confidence and, and swagger, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Now, now, Brandon, most of the musicians I speak to, a high percentage of them either live in Vegas, L.A., New York, Nashville. You're in, mm-hmm. Por- you're in Portland. Did you ever live anywhere else? And then, and then if you did, what made you move back? Um, well, I lived, the beginning of my life, I lived in Washington, D.C. area. Uh, in a little town called Boys, Maryland, and you know, I had friends and family there, and and uh, then I moved to California, San Francisco Bay Area, and lived there until I was 18. And I've lived in Portland, Oregon now since I was. Let's see, yeah, I moved here right before my 19th birthday, and I've been here ever since. And I just since I have a a, a daughter up here, and I was married for a long time, I made my home here and. I'm planning to go move somewhere else, most likely L.A. or Nashville, when my daughter hits 18. Because mm, it, it seems to me, and a lot, a lot of the musicians tell me, they have to go where the work is. Now, I, I don't know what the work is like for a musician in Portland. Like, you can probably do a lot of work over the, over the, over the net. Um, mm-hmm. But the scene in Portland you're, you're hinting at there, it's pretty good for live music. Yes, there is actually, you know, that's one of the things about the tribute bands that they pay, you know, we, we, we do have a lot. I mean, even in LA, that's one of the things that people do to get money, but there is a lot of work here. And part of the scene, I, I have really helped create me. There's my band, the Guns N' Roses tribute band called Appetite for Deception. And there was, there was another band here called Crazy Train. That's an Aussie tribute band. And then British Steel was a Jewish Priest tribute band. Those are like the three main tribute bands in Portland, Oregon. And I started one of those. And then from that point, people started, when, when they saw what Appetite was doing, people started going, wow, you could really make this into an industry kind of thing. And we built dummy cabs and like a drum riser. My, my friend, Michael Killian is like a genius when it comes to building things. So he, he built all kinds of stuff for um for for our band to make sure that we had like just amazing like stage props and you know we paid for everything and all ourselves it's all like DIY like a like an old punk band but making a a tribute band and people would see what we were doing they're just like oh my god we've got to be a tribute band too and then we got hooked up with a guy named Jason Selman who's a He's a genius at marketing, and he basically created what a platform to make tributes more financially lucrative. And he's a really he's just a a brilliant guy. That he used to have a, a marketing company that worked with international companies like Canon and stuff. And just he just took the tribute thing, make it a made it a money machine. And then plugged us all into it, oh. and it was it was amazing. So we went from making 
you know, we'd, we'd have the good casino gigs and stuff like that. But then all the local club gigs went up from like a hundred dollars at the end of the night. They're like, sorry, we can't pay you. And he was like, no, you're going to pay these guys money. <laughs> and you know, we could make like 3000 bucks off of a, off of a really great club night because we charge more money and they, it was, it was a way to make real money for, for a musician, you know? So we didn't have to play 20 gigs a month because he won't let us. And you know, those 20 gigs a month paying like $300 a gig or whatever was like, it's just not, it's not an issue anymore. Now we get paid like two grand, something like that, mm. maybe more like, you know, if, if we if we go to get a casino, we're up in the five thousands and stuff like that. It's nice. Nice. And I, I it's kind of like having a great job. You know, you put a, put on a wig and go to work. <laughs> um, okay. And I also have a, a foreigner tribute band that that's really that's fun too. But um, we don't play very as much right now. So where do you or, well, where, where do you find a singer, Brandon, to do Lou Graham because he's he's incredible. Uh, the singer for for the Guns Band? No, the, the Foreigner Tribute Band. Oh, uh, well, this, that guy's name is Rich Ray. He's a he, he's a friend of ours from around town, and uh, he's just kind of an unassuming guy, <laughs> regular regular day job and everything, and um, he just he just has that voice that can do that. Oh. He, he he was in several tribute bands, uh, Soundgarden. He's in uh, 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 he was in a really great Led Zeppelin tribute band and couple other things too well he must be really able to sing then if he can do all that oh yeah yeah he's got he's got good pipes yeah yeah so one one of the things i'm getting from talking to you so far is that Mm -hmm. the tribute bands are great the money is great but you you really want to be in in a band yourself with original material absolutely you know i mean the the dream is to be in a band you know that that can you first of all have the songs, you know, you know, when you put that first, that's, that's what drives everything. If you don't have great songs, nobody really wants to come see you. So like, and I'm when by great songs. I mean like world-class international hits. That's the kind of band you have to have to get people to pay attention, you know, like something that really hooks into their ear and they can't forget it, you know, and being in a rock band, that's really hard because you have to have street cred and you have to be like, you have to be a good player and all that. There's so many requirements of a really great rock band, you know, but if you don't have good songs, you know, like a sound garden, I'm, I'm just going to like name a great rock bands across the, the millennium, you know, Rolling Stones, Soundgarden, Black Sabbath, those kinds of bands that just have unbelievably memorable tunes. And that's kind of what we want to be, you know, if we're talking about the loyal order, we, mm. I don't know if we, I don't know if we've accomplished that, but that's kind of our goal in mind. Mm. We want to be that at some level. Yeah. So let, let's talk a minute about that, Brandon, the, the, mm-hmm. the genesis of that. Um, mm-hmm. Like, how do you, how did you get to know Jeff? Was he just someone that lived in the same town and you knew him beforehand? Well, we, um, to come back a little bit to the black and blue thing, this was before I knew those guys. Um, Actually, before I even listened to Black and Blue, it was like 2008. I met Jeff by playing in Tommy Thayer's brother's band. His name's John Thayer. And Jeff and I immediately hit it off. We were just like two peas in a pod right away. And I don't think we really knew it, but we definitely were. It was just like we'd get together after gigs or whatever and just be chilling, hanging out. And we did the band really, you know, we did that band a good service. We had a really great drummer. He actually plays on the Loyal Order record. His name is Joe Mingus. And that three, that trio for me was a really great band. I was just like, man, we got to get the band together again. Because <laughs> it was so good. You know, we're, I mean, we we're just kind of playing like, you know, kind of indie pop with that band, you know, just, you know, to make money. Because John's, John's a really, he's a very good businessman. And he knew that if he was going to have a good band, he had, you know, he had to have great players with a good look. And like, he found us by doing this. And not only that, the producer of that project is the producer of the Loyal Order album. His name's Rob Dacre. So <laughs> we, the th- three of the strongest members of that group, ended up. Jeff and I formed a band, and Joe played on our record. He he's he's plays with. Um, uh, 
oh man, I can't remember the name of the band again. <laughs> but he plays with a, another really great rock band. I'll have to look it up while we're while we're chatting. So Jeff and I got along really well from the beginning musically. Everything we do together just kind of comes out sounding great, and or at least to our ears, you know, we we go, wow, we really like that. That's that's good, you know. And I think we're pretty discerning guys, you know. Uh, we we definitely like try to find ideas that really latch into our ears like try to listen to our music as as fans of it you know like am i a fan of this do i like this if this was on the radio does this sound good to me you know try to keep it objective instead of like oh it's just my song and you know be too precious with it you know we really want to make sure that that we really like it as a fan so um yeah uh, uh after the john thayer band I played, I had never played metal with him before. And he invited me out to play a show with, with him in this group. Um, and he saw me play stand up and shout by Dio. Uh And (laughs) I remember the look on his face when he, when I played the guitar solo, I was like, what's up with that? He came, he comes up to me after the show and he was just freaking out because he was just like, Oh man, I've never seen anybody play it that good before. Oh my, that's so great. And I was like, really? Oh man, I'm really happy to hear that, you know? And from that point, I think he was trying to figure out how to put together an original band with me (laughs) because we, uh, about a year later, we got into Delana's band together and, you know, he played with my Guns N' Roses band when, when our bass player broke his wrist and that was really fun. He went on a, on a road trip with us too, a couple of years later. And then one day we got a call from this guy um, who wanted us to play, uh, our friend Jeff Coxon. He wanted us to write a song to be the intro music for a TV show called Off the Grid. So we wrote the title track for that that thing. On the album, it's called Superhuman. um, But at the time, we called it Off the Grid. And it turned out really good. We When we finished that song, we finished it the you remember the end of the world, twelve twenty one twelve, the end of the Mayan calendar. We played that song for um, we played that song for a bunch of our friends that night after we finished it, and the reactions we got were like, I think we may have accomplished our idea, you know, and and, and the idea was to make something that was really, really, really memorable and like people would never forget, and because people every you know they'd be like when's your next song coming out when's your next song coming out you know we hadn't even played a gig yet we hadn't done anything we just made a song (laughs) and we had constantly asking us when's the world order playing show and we're like we don't even have two songs yet and so we started really trying to find the right people to make the the album you know we were working with some some people at the time kevin hahn was a great producer and guitar player and Dane Ryan was a guy who played bass for us. And, you know, we tried to find people that really had time to fit in and wanted to be in the band. Those guys had a lot of other projects they were working on. And as this was a studio project, really, they didn't really have time for like a, a not playing live band. So, cause we weren't really playing live yet. So from that point, we started working with Rob Dacre and Rob's a producer. He's like, he's a great guitar player and a singer and all that stuff. But if I knew anything about Rob, I would just be like, he's, he's a producer. That's how he works. He's just, he's a visionary type personality. And he started helping us get our songs a little bit more geared towards, you know, the detail part of writing, not just like the big broad strokes. And oh my gosh, he really just changed the way we went about writing things. We kind of left things a little bit like a little bit loose when we went into the studio so that he had a chance to actually produce it, you know, like a real producer wants to do. Hmm. So we'd come up, we'd come up with like big ideas, like big hooks and big guitar riffs and stuff like that. And then take it to him and he'd kind of, you know, guide us like, maybe do this, maybe do that. And kind of put the song together in a way that was, I don't know. I hate to say commercial, but it's just more memorable, like bigger. And as we got our solid ideas 
better formed, we would take him in and he would just, so Jeff and I were constantly writing. I mean, this was something we'd do on a weekly basis. We'd get together and, you know, carve out ideas and some that we have, we probably have like 20 other ideas just sitting around that we just, you know, work on in our phones, you know, things we get together and just, I'd have a riff and he'd have some lyric ideas and we'd sing it into the phone. And then the ideas that form the best. Um, the first song we did with Rob Dacre was this song called the river. And it ended up being, you know, I had to learn a lot about songwriting in like with other people. Cause all my songwriting before the blow order was just me writing the entire song, planning the drum parts, playing the bass, you know, doing the singing. Everything was like kind of a solo project for me. It was hard for me to to work in a different way than that. So Jeff has a really specific style of writing where, like, if he doesn't, if he if the the groove isn't really isn't driving with the way he thinks of melodies, it doesn't work. So I had to figure out through you know through Rob working with him and Rob how to make my guitarist be more so that I inspire his melodic creativity does that make sense yeah so it's like it's really hard to describe how creative process works <laughs> but um you know, so i we we reformed this song called the river and as soon as we got the form right jeff's creative energy opened up big time and it, it just really blossomed the way the song was and i was like oh okay this is really different i never experienced that before where because for me i went to music school and it's just like you write something then you write a melody over it. It doesn't matter what, you know, it matters what it is, but it doesn't matter what you're writing over. You should be able to create a melody. And it's like, you should, you should, you should. Hmm. Whereas like Jeff is a much more intuitive writer. He's like, if it's in his head, that makes sense to him. You know, he's not, a he's, Jeff can write music and read music and stuff like that. Like the actual formal music training, but that's not how he prefers to write. And uh, it's a really different, and I don't always write my melodies down, but it sure it helps me when I'm in a when I'm in a bind. I'll be like, well, "What chord is this?" or whatever. But that's not Jeff. Jeff's like, "This isn't inspiring me. Mm. I want it to be inspired. I want it to really inspire me, so it feels strong to me." And I was like, "Oh, okay. So that that's a really different way." And Rob was that's the kind of way he writes. Yeah, no, no, Brandon, you're talking about writing music there, okay? Now, oh yeah, you can you can play in tribute bands, the Guns N' Roses tribute band, and you can play the songs. But when you're in Black and Blue, you have an opportunity mm-hmm. now to sit down with Jamie and ask mm-hmm. him about what was in your mindset writing the song. What did Bruce Fairburn change in it, or Dieter Dirks, or, or Gene Simmons? Have you been mm-hmm. able to do that with Jamie and maybe talk about the writing all those songs that you're playing with Black and Blue? Um, a little bit, you know, I, I, since I don't spend a lot of time with Jamie cause he lives in LA, um, I spend more time with Patrick and Patrick talks a lot to me about like the writing process and Tommy Thayer was like the leader of that stuff. And Jamie was kind of the creative visionary, hmm. but Tommy was kind of like the, the military, you know, he's like, we're going to get this. And this is, you know, Jamie was, he, he really had like drive and all that stuff. That's for sure. But Tom, uh, from what Pat tells me, Tommy was kind of like the hard nose, like ah, we got to get this done. He was a taskmaster of of everything. And but Jamie has talked to me some about like how the process goes for that stuff. But it, like I said, like describing creative process is really hard in words. Yeah. <laughs> so you usually tell you kind of end up telling a story about how it happens, but the actual creative process is a little bit elusive sometimes so the to describe it in words it's probably why people don't talk about it in interviews very much because it's i actually want to hear that stuff that's something i want to hear in, in an interview i want someone to tell you know wow the creative process this is how it works for me what, what, it's different for everybody anyway you see i've asked a few musicians over the years when they've played in in bands that have had big hits and they're the newer musicians they're replacing other people and a, a couple of them have, have actually said to me that you know what? I didn't ask, and I should have. Uh huh. And um, you know, because they're playing the songs, 
they're in their own bands now. They're writing songs and they they want to be like a sponge and absorb how all this happened, what went into it, why did you go this way? Was did the label push you? Was there another band member wanted a songwriting credit and all that? Like a lot of that stuff fascinates me because I've listened mm-hmm. to the records for years, and mm-hmm. I want to get to know as much of you know behind the scenes stuff as I can. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I can give you a real play to play on on Ready for Dead if you want. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what, that's what I'm here for. Like that, that's the only oh, song. Yeah. That's the only song I've heard is that that song. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, so I wasn't sure if we sent the record out. Yet, no, I've but, I've, um, I've only got the single. Okay, so for Ready for Dead, um, we that was that started off as like an idea that Rob had an old song that that he'd been working on a long time ago, and it was kind of demoed out and he had heard what we were doing and he was like, you guys got to check this out. I think this might fit. So we sort of retrofit it. My, my goal is to always make anything that we sound like, especially musically. Cause I kind of, when I think of the loyal order and what we, what we do, it's got a certain kind of sound. So I, I kind of retrofit Rob's Rob's song idea into what the loyal order does. Rewrote the guitarists and, um, Jeff kind of really put his own style on the on the vocal melody, and uh, we had a, a new drum track on it, and just really kind of rebuilt the tune. But I was a little bit trepidatious about playing someone else's song that was outside the, the band. But Jeff really had a strong feeling about the tune. He really just loved the way it was it was created, and and just the, he really liked the melodies and the lyrics and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. And I just really want to make sure that the, the, the guitar parts and the, the drum parts sound like it should be in the loyal order. And I took the song home and just started crafting out some, some riffs. So the, the intro riff was pretty much Rob's, but like all the verse riffs, I really had to kind of make a little bit heavier and man, I just loved working on that song. And we, we got down to the guitar solo part at the end of writing everything and having all the vocals laid down. And I use this whammy pedal that I, I never really been a fan of using it. I had, I had purchased it to play a, a bucket head solo for, for my Guns N' Roses tribute band. And I said, Jeff, what do you think? You think I should use the whammy pedal? And he's like, yeah, yeah, do it. So I came up with a, um, a couple of motifs for the solo and I mostly improvised it in the studio and, uh, it turned out really good. I was, I, I've actually had a couple of people that heard this song that were like, wow, that's one of the most interesting solos I've ever heard. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll take that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, the solo is great. The solo is great. And I'm like, cool. That's a great song too. You know? And they're like, yeah, it's really great. And I, some people kind of take that away, you know, as a as a good guitar. So I'm I'm glad it, I'm glad it's it's, it's uh, capturing people's attention because that's really what Jeff and I have always wanted. We want to put stuff out that really it's not just you know from the past or whatever. We really want to push forward with it. And I think a big part of the production of of Ready for Dead is is uh, what makes it so catchy and because it's modern. It's, uh, I think Rob really tries to capture a sense of modern production. He's not seeking like, we want to sound like Led Zeppelin or we want to sound like, you know, something from the eighties. It's, it's now it's what's happening in the, in the current production thing. And even like trying to push a little bit beyond that. I, I don't know if we've done that, but Rob's goal is to be surging. Like, into the future with ideas it seems like to me and not just relying on not i don't want to say tired or anything but like classic examples of production i think he wants to create something new mm. rob that's rob's a keyboard player on dan reed network isn't he that's correct yeah yeah another band yeah. another band i absolutely love yeah yeah we love those guys too like dan reed's been a very supportive he actually sang backup vocals on one of our songs because uh, well, actually, it's it's technically a Jeff Buhner solo song, but I I helped put some of the, put together some of the guitar parts and and Dan, and of course Rob produced it and um 
Dan came in and sang backup vocals on it. It was so amazing. Nice. <laughs> he's such a great. He's such a great guy. <laughs> I love working with him. He's so cool. Yeah, there, a lot of people that if they, if they ask me name a band in the '80s that should have been huge and weren't, they're one of them. King's X would be another, but I, I always say Dan Reed oh, Network yeah. should have been enormous. Yeah, I'm a huge King's X fan. I, the the guitar the guitar riffs are in Loyal Order are very much inspired by them. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I I was a huge King's X fan. I still am. Um, seen them like ten times now, something mm. like that. I I've seen them twice, and I'll tell you, the first time I saw them was in '91. They were supporting ACDC on the Razor's Edge tour, and wow, I had to wait until 2017 to see them again and i've interviewed them all numerous mm-hmm. times and they're the most humble down-to-earth guys you'll ever meet amazing band mm-hmm. amazing my my very dear friend ray freeman who i haven't spoken with in a couple of years uh he got me a chance to hang out on the bus with those guys once and they they told a bunch of old stories about you know like michael wagner telling them about how James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich were really mean to him when they were mixing Master of Puppets. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, yeah, Doug, Doug, it was, he was very kind to us and then we were just sitting there like starstruck kids. This was before I, I was in Black and Blue or anything. My, my, I played with Chris Caffrey for a short time and, and Ray was my guitar tech for Chris Caffrey. So he took me on the on the bus with with King's X about a year after that. that nice, was a really cool experience. Nice. So, Brandon, Brandon, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Forty four. Okay. So, how how old were you when when did you get into King's X? Because I got into him. I was in eighty eight. I was seventeen. So I got the first album when it came out. Well, somebody gave me Gretchen Goes in Nebraska in about it was two thousand maybe 1997, something like that. It's been a really long time, and I just had that CD sitting around. And then one day, my buddy was like, I love King's X, and I'm like, what? What do you mean? And he's like, yeah, you got that CD. And so I just started listening to it, because he was a huge fan of them. And I hadn't really listened to it at all. I was just like, oh, aren't they a Christian band? And he's like, well, not really. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, because I wasn't really into the whole Christian thing, and it it kind of changed the way I viewed the band. They they were just much more worldly at that point. And I started listening to them and I just love everything about them. Drums, singing, bass, groove, all the songwriting is so amazing. Mm. Now, now be, being out and doing shows with Black and Blue over the years, um, how many musicians from other bands have you wanted to meet that you were a big fan of? And, and have you been able to do it? Oh, man. Um, well... Because of Black and Blue, you know, I've had a lot of huge opportunities. One of my biggest opportunities came from actually getting to jam with Metallica. Um, I won a contest in 2004, and I got to play with them. Um, you know, I, 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 I got a guitar lesson from Al Petrelli um, back in 2001. Actually, 2002, because it was right after 9-11. I went to New York City to, to take a lesson with Al. About a year later, I got to audition for Marty Friedman's band, and as I said, I wasn't really ready for that yet. And then after that experience, that sort of prepared me for winning that Metallica contest where I got to actually jam with Metallica. There's video of it on the, on the internet. What did you play? I was like, uh, we played one, and I harmonized wow. Chris Hammett's solo. The whole song? And Yeah, I played the whole song. With, actually, I got to play three songs with them. But the one that's on the internet is, is they, they took the, I had harmonized Kirk Hammett's solo in one, and they took an excerpt of that, and that shows me and Kirk playing together on the main guitar solo, the tapping guitar solo. Yeah. And and I I had harmonized it as a party trick with a buddy of mine. And we would just, we you used to just like go to jam sessions and play one and do that guitar solo and, uh, people would just be like, wow, that's amazing. And it was just a, something that I did during music school as a fun little party trick to make people laugh. And it ended up being like a viral video on the internet. 
And did, so, uh, did you get to play with Metallica? Was that at Soundcheck or was it in the studio? Um, you know how they have that tuning room backstage? Yeah, yeah. Well, the tuning room is is set up with full guitar rigs. And because they were doing that contest, they just had one extra amp back there. So I got to play with them in that. Now, that did, really cool. Did, did they ask you what songs you wanted to do or did, did you already know what you were doing? Oh yeah, they totally they totally asked me, and I I I, I had known at the time I I knew several Metallica songs because I'm a, I'm a guitar teacher too. Hmm. I was always teaching Metallica songs because kids were like, oh man, you play Metallica, I want to learn that. And so um, I told them I knew what a few different tunes, but one was the one I wanted to do because I had that tapping solo. I really wanted to blow them away, and <laughs> and they they really dug it. They thought it was really cool. I had always envisioned in my brain, like what I always wanted to play with when I was a kid, I wanted to play with like Metallica, Megadeth, Testament, those guys. So for me, like, you know, with, with Lars Ulrich behind a drum kit, it was just like, I get to be kind of like James Hetfield for a minute here. <laughs> and the, it was really, really inspiring moment for me because I could, I realized I could actually play with really, really world-class great musicians. Uh, it just, it was a really inspiring moment for me and probably was the thing that made me believe I could go be in a band like black and blue and play on big stages. You know, we, last year we played at M3 in front of like, I think it was eight grand, 8,000 people. That was huge for me, but let's see some other musicians I've met along the way. Well, um, Alex Skolnick, you mentioned there, you've, Testament, you've probably met him, have you? Uh, Skolnick. Yes, I have met him. I met him when we played, when I played with Chris Caffrey, we, we did a show with his jazz trio. Wow. Um, it was a bunch, it was all, it was called all in the family. It was, it was two of those shows and it was a whole bunch of, um, bands that were formed out of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra crew. So all, everybody there was all Trans-Siberian Orchestra and then me and this guy from Portland. <laughs> 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 I, I had, I had, because of that Metallica video, I, I played it for Chris Gaffrey and he was really blown away. Again, it was a, a time that I was, I was a little green in the, in the music industry. I knew I could, everybody knew I could play, but being able to handle like the rigors of the road and like just knowing what to do when you get to a, like an international level gig was, was, was new for me. I had only been playing in bar bands and stuff like that. And, you know, I kind of felt like I was doing it right. But when you go and you're playing with those guys who are like playing arena level shows all the time, I mean, like those guys play arena level shows constantly. And I was so green. I just didn't know what to do. And, you know, so they got, they got a guy to replace me. His name's Ira Black. Amazing guy. I'm a good friend with him now. Yeah, I know Ira. And, I think he played with Dokken. He done a few shows with Dokken uh, last year, I think, or the year before. Yeah, I was playing with everybody. So it was Middle Church, Lizzie Borden. He's just the consummate metal guitar player and a good friend too. So, um, but the right after that is is when I joined the yeah. But so I, let's see. Let's back up a second. I met Alex Skolnick that that weekend, and he was always really nice to me at the time. You know, I I worshipped the guy. So getting a fact to meet him was was really really cool for me. Mm. And. uh Let's see who else. I mean, I met Mark Wood there. Mark Wood was really, he was really kind to me because uh, he's a, he's an educator. You know, he really just knows how to connect with people one on one. And Jeff played the drummer from TSO. Yeah, I met Jeff. Really nice. Jeff's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's from the north, northeast. He was in the Horsehead, New York. Um, let's see who else did I meet. Oh, Johnny D. He's actually one of the people I've you know kind of maintained a friendship with for long term out of that uh johnny d the, the drummer for doro yeah nick douglas was the nick douglas played bass in uh in that group dave z the departed dave z i met him with with chris caffrey um russell allen you met russell i never have met russell okay I, like on on the cruise ships i've seen him in passing and just been like great show dude and he's like thank you <laughs> but yeah. not not a real like meet and greet and like he knows who i am and he yeah. So Brandon, name, name the musician you met that you were most nervous being introduced to or talking to. Oh, had to be Marty Friedman. You know, that was so far, you know, 
the Marty, Marty was, he was my absolute just pinnacle hero of guitar world from, you know, from back when I was, I remember I heard Marty Friedman when I was 13, a good friend of my brother's, he knew Jason Becker and Marty Friedman from his Cacoph- hometown. Cacophony. They the were band. Just, yeah. They, they, they lived in San Rosa and his name is Bud. <laughs> He, he used to, he lived right next door, like in the same neighborhood with Jason. And, uh, he brought over Cacophony, the, the Speed Metal Symphony album. And I was just floored. I was like, oh my God, I have to do that someday. And before that it was Ace Freely. So Ace Freely to that <laughs> it was a totally different, um, way of thinking. And, but Marty really captivated me and of course, when he was, when I found out he was going to be in Megadeth, I was like, that's perfect. You know, that's going to be amazing. And 10 years of, of him being in Megadeth. And right after he left Megadeth is when I, I was like, he's out of Megadeth. I'm going to go be in his band. I had been in music school for, you know, several years. And I was like, I, I told all my friends, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be in Marty Freeman's band. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Brandon, and, had you seen him play with Megadeth? Yes. I think three or four times. Okay. I saw him at the Cal Palace in 92 uh, and several times in Portland, Oregon. Uh, it was, a, I think, four times total. And, oh, yeah, my daughter and my daughter sitting here. She, she's listening in. <laughs> we actually met him, and I played on stage with him and Jordan Ziff from his band. Uh, they, they they invited me up to, to play a song. So that's actually a video on Facebook too. I'll, I, I should show you that. Mm. The Marty, Marty. When I first met him, I had never really met any of my super big heroes. And uh, Marty, I was I was shaking in my boots, literally. I mean, I I was terrified to play with him. And I mean, I did a pretty good job for being terrified, but you know, <laughs> it it really set set the stage for me being able to play with with much better musicians than I, me. I've asked, I've asked a lot of guitar players who are considered the elite players, and Marty's definitely one of them. Um, oh, yeah. How, how do they stay grounded? Because you have so many people coming up to him saying, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. And m- most of them say, you know, you just got to put everything into perspective. But the ego can get a bit out of control. But I, I've interviewed Marty, and I've met him once, uh-huh. and he just seems like... A really regular guy. He's been living in Japan now for a long time. Loves the culture over there, and um, he just seems like a great guy to hang with. Yeah, he was really nice to me. I mean, like I gotta say, he was. He, was, he. I think the part of him that that keeps him humble is he just doesn't really think of himself as that great of a guitar player. You know, he he's like. I remember telling him, like, I'm like, dude, you're worshipped around the world. I mean, you, I don't know if you know, but you basically started the death metal movement. He's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, there's this great, you know, I don't know if you know who Chuck Schuldiner is from Death, but he worships Marty's first record called Hawaii, what called One Nation Underground. That like, it basically started the death metal movement. <laughs> uh, he didn't, he wasn't really aware of that. And I'm like, yeah, dude, all these death metal guys worship you. You know, there's a whole movement of people that just, you know, I, mean, I think he kind of knew, but I don't think he really took it upon himself. You know, but like he was really instrumental in in making heavy music what it became now. You know, with really amazing technical playing and you know just musicianship beyond just you know kind of playing aggressively. Mm. Yeah, it was weird when I when I told him that it seemed like he had never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I I don't want to claim like I have too much intimacy with, with Marty Freeman, like too much friendship because it was just really that one period when I was auditioning for him. But yeah, he, uh, he, he definitely is a, a really like sense of humility inside him. That, that's him. I don't think, I don't think the outside thing affects him very much, you know, like when it comes to people worshiping him and stuff like that, I think he's just kind of like, no, 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 that's not me. At, at, at this stage in the game, Brandon, are, are you actually doing auditions or are you well known enough now that they'll just give you the gig? Um, well, you know, I, I would think that part of what I've learned about the, the working as, as a musician and, you know, being, being in something like the loyal order or black and blue. Part of the reason I got those gigs was because of my reputation. 
but I definitely had to earn it. You know, you're, you're a, I mean, to me, if somebody doesn't know you, then they audition you. And Patrick didn't really know me. So he auditioned me. But if somebody knows you and they know you can play and they know what you can and can't do. The audition is really just your personality. The audition is to how, how humble you can be in a situation, how well you handle yourself. All those things are so, so, so deadly important to make a band work, you know, because you know, when you're in a band, uh, I think you probably know this, but the when you're in a band, it's a very intimate situation. You you know the worst and the best of people because every time someone's playing music, they're playing from a place of sometimes from like a wound, like a like a emotional hurt, and they're also playing from the greatest love of their life and everything in between. And you touch them the wrong, you know, or sort of hit their space the wrong way, and it could be bad because people play from that place. You know, the things that inspire music are not just happy things. There are a lot of like really crappy things too. So, you know, really getting, you really get to know someone on a very intimate level quickly when you're playing music. Brandon, have you ever, have you ever done an audition and you thought mm -hmm. you nailed it and not got the gig? And and how, how do you take rejection? Like, did it, was it easy for you to take rejection and you learn from it or, or is it just always difficult? Um, that's a good question. You know, for me, auditioning was after the Marty gig, you know, or the Marty audition, it was, um, I haven't really lost an audition. You know, the, the one, the one that I didn't get, uh, after that, I was really just not right for the band. It was more casting you know the and the same thing with the chris gaffer gig when when they moved on without me um it was it was a casting issue you know there was a certain experience or something like that it wasn't really about me it was more about just like hey this is what we're looking for and you're just a little more over here and we need to get somebody who has this so it was more about experience and stuff like that but shy of those two things i've gotten every gig i've ever tried out for so, and mostly that's because people know my reputation. They know about the way I play and they're looking for me anyway. So I, I don't really even think of it. I don't really even think of it as like, I, I can't really, it's hard to answer that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, I don't think of it as like a good or bad thing. It's just like, it, do I fit, you know? And if I fit, I, I'll go for it. And if I, if I, if I'm putting myself in that situation, do I fit for this? I just go, and if the answer keeps coming up no, or I feel anxiety about it, I usually just don't even try because I think it's like, you know, I know the people. Usually, I know the people, and I'm like, mm, I'm probably not going to get along with that guy in that band, so I'm not going to do it. Mm, that's know? that's what I was going to ask you. Do, do you research what the personalities in the band before you actually go in and play with them? Um, I think probably something to know about me is, you know, I I research everybody. You know, I'm I'm like I'm like. I'll give you an example. Like when I go, when I go to Europe, everybody's really into the bands and like, like you, like almost everybody's a, like a podcast level of like encyclopedia Britannica of knowledge about like everybody's band and the producers and all that stuff. It's like talking to Wikipedia sometimes. They know everything about I'll, the band. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I love it. I love it because that's how I think. When someone starts asking me about like, you know, all the details of my life, I'm just like, yeah, I, I'll tell you, you know, and, but they also know a lot of the background of bands I'm in or people I've played with or wanted to play with. And it's really cool for me. So that's exactly how I am about players in my scene or like players in, you know, I'll go read their Facebook page and not, you know, it's not stalking. It's just good research. You know, if I want to play with somebody, I'll, I'll check them out and see what kind of person they are. And, you know, what are they posting on their Facebook page? Like, is this person constantly posting drama or like, you know, something like that. And I'm like, mm, I don't think I really want to be in that kind of situation. So the, for me, I'm really all about professionalism and, you know, my personal stuff. I deal with that on my own. I don't put it on Facebook. Have you, <laughs> have, have you ever gotten a gig and um, they've asked you to move out of Portland and that was a deal breaker? Oh, no. Uh-uh. No, that, that wasn't ever a thing. 
Okay. Uh, I've never been, I've never been asked to move anywhere. Um, but like with, if if I'm, I mean, I'm really lucky to have had a lot of my opportunities come out of Portland. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and everybody was usually the, and I think here's like, this is the cool part. It's like, I feel like I've always been good enough for people to just go, we'll fly you there. That, <laughs> that makes me feel really good. <laughs> they were mm. like, you know, come here. So we have to watch over you, you know, and be in our band. It's like, no, we'll just fly it. It's fine. We'll take care of it. Okay. And so, I mean, maybe someday that'll happen. Like if I move to LA or something like that, but, um, I think, you know, right now the low order is kind of the main focus and, you know, the second focus is or black and blue and, you know, only, only because, you know, black and blue is not playing a whole ton of shows right now, but they, you know, when we do it, it's always like maximum, potential and same thing with loyal order you know having patrick in 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 the loyal order we kind of take that it really helps keep the the level of of the loyal order at a super high place mm-hmm. and i should tell you about the other guys in the band i mean jeff buner he's like he's my best friend you know we we write songs together and and so we're lucky to have like a really great connection and chemistry right there and, but, you know, Patrick and I, my, Patrick's a very close friend of mine too. You know, we've developed a good relationship in, in black and blue, but Kyle Baltus, he's the drummer for a group called 36 Crazy Fists. And he also plays with, um, Light the Torch, um, who's Howard Jones, ex Switch Engage singer. That's his band. And he plays drums for them. And then, uh, a guitar player named Justin Gibson, who is just He's, he's, I've known him since around the time that I auditioned for Marty Friedman and he started studying with me right around that time when he was like 15 and I was probably 30 and maybe 29 or 28. And we, uh, we became friends because he was such a great musician and he was such a good guy, you know, at at a really young age and very, you know, well-formed mind. He had just like a, really sharp intellect and went to, he went to college and, you know, started a couple of bands and he's been in several bands, but we, he was in my first solo band called state of balance. And he, uh, he just could play anything I asked him to play. He'd always be really humble. I don't know if I can play this. And I'm just like, you can play it. (laughs) I know everything. I know everything you can do, dude, you can do this. And so we would, we would always we would play those shows together he subbed in on my foreigner band and then you know we weren't sure who we were going to use for second guitar player when the order started planning shows and i was like i think we should use justin because he's he's such a great guy and not only that he's just an amazing guitar player and he's done a lot of good things around portland locally some pretty well-known bands around here and this is like perfect for him because we're, you know, we're playing with the level that he wants to be playing with, you know, where you rehearse a lot and you get the band to the, to the highest possible level you can play it and then go on stage. And the energy in that room when we're playing together is un, unstoppable. It's just unbelievable. Mm. Um, is, is the album, is, is, the, is the album done, Brandon? The album is done. It is mastered and it is being processed through the orchard you know, we're, we have a, um, we have a distribute distribution company called Vaughn artists and they, they are putting us up on a digital platform called the orchard. I think it's owned by Sony music and, um, the album will be up there. And the, the cool thing about the orchard is it, they distribute videos and music. And if you want to order the album hard copy, all you got to do is say, we want a hard copy and they print the art package it up and send it to you individually okay but it's a really cool the, situation the album is not out yet is it album's not out yet uh, i think our release date is in july um but it's coming soon and okay the it it's just we've finally listened to the to the master copy of the of the album it's unbelievable <laughs> it's my first my first album that sounds this good. Well, I'm, I've, un- I'm totally I've, un- I've only heard the one song, and I really like the one song. So I was hoping I'd get more, but I I only got ready for Ted. Well, when when it's ready, we'll send it to you. Yeah. Like when when we can we can when we can actually release it, when our distribution guys go go ahead and send it out, we'll we'll do that. Yeah, I, I we'll got I got one question. It's a three part question. 
Um, okay. Your your favorite black and blue song to play live, the hardest song, black and blue song to play live, and the black and blue song you've rarely played or never played that you'd like to play. Hmm. Okay, ask the first one again. Sorry. <laughs> Is your favorite black and blue song oh, to my play? Fa- my favorite song to play live. I really like playing um, Auto Blast. I love playing that song. Okay. And uh, this. Yeah, because that, that's a. It's got this really great Tommy Thayer lick in it that, um, that it's super fast. It's this fast triplet lick that. And I get to play that lick, and it's really fun. Okay. Um, let's see. The, the next one is the hardest black and blue song to nail live. I think it's the of the songs that we play. I think does she or doesn't she is probably the hardest, and the reason is because the groove is so. It's it's got this kind of sixteenth note shuffle groove to it, and you're playing whole notes, but the whole notes have to sound right. You know, it's these long chords, and the other the other hardest song because of the groove is uh, Nature of the Beach. Okay, because if you don't if you don't play it with enough pocket, it sounds a little bit you know not groovy. Hmm. <laughs> so. To me, like those tunes are really difficult to play. The groove songs are like everything else is like kind of rock songs. You know, they just they kick butt, right? But like when you really when you have to make something sound, you know, swing or, or like a uh, shuffle groove. Um, when you're playing that hard, when you're playing hard rock, it's hard to make those songs really swing. So being attention to the groove is really uh, it's dif- it's difficult to do sometimes. Yeah, so, and, the, and, and then the la- the last question I had was uh, the rarely played or never played black and blue song that you'd love to play. Strange things. Stra- oh, strange things. Yeah, we 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 practiced that. Do you know that song? Yeah, yeah. The we 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 practiced it to get it going, but it's got enough production that it's a little bit it's a little bit naked on on a live performance. So we haven't, we haven't figured out how to do it and make it work. It's a little long too. And, you know, with black and blue, you know, we, we don't have like big giant hits that everybody knows. So, you know, we have like hold on to 18 miss mystery and like school of hard knocks that everybody knows, you know, because they're on the radio all they're on the like Sirius XM and stuff like that all the time. But if we play strange things, you know, people, scarcely heard that song it's a deep cut but it's jamie's favorite song it's my favorite black and blue song too i mean i heard it you know before before i knew that was jamie's favorite song i was like yeah we gotta play strange things and he's like that's my favorite black and blue song and i was like oh we should do it and when we did it in rehearsal he didn't feel like it was up to that place where you can play it live yet Hmm. so um and partially it's like it's also an answer to number two, you know, it's, it's a difficult song to play. Yeah. It's very, very, it's a, uh, as Jeff says, it's like a, it's a really like precious song. <laughs> it's like every little detail of it is really important. And because of the way it's arranged and everything, and if you don't nail it, it sounds weak because it's so, it's so particular. It's a, it's a balladish kind of song and ballad ballad songs and delicate songs are really hard to do in a rock setting if you're not like rehearsing it constantly um and to rehearse we don't we don't get like in black and blue we don't get like real rehearsal time we don't have usually have a drummer it's just me and bob and patrick rehearsing and then we go play live it's pretty amazing that that it sounds as good as it does uh I, i don't think anybody would ever know that we don't do it that way um, but it's, Brandon, do you do anything from In Heat? Ooh, yeah. Um, I love that album. Things. Love it. Oh man, uh, we do Heat It Up. That's one of the ones I really love to play. Yeah, Heat It Up to the that that fat pocket groove. I just love that song. Mm. Uh, it really has. Uh, we they were there. There's a a hint of Deep Purple in that song, like Perfect Strangers. Um, the the pocket groove that that Ian Pace was doing on that tune. So yeah, I really love that tune mm. a lot. So Brandon, there's a couple other, but I'm not thinking of them right now. Yeah. So Brandon, before I leave you go, give out all the social media sites where uh, people can get in touch with Loyal Order and order the order the record. Uh, the Loyal Order 
um, is theloyalorder.com. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. Um, you know, Jeff and I are both on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, yeah, please, the the album is going to be out on the Orchard. Uh, so that distributes to iTunes and Amazon and all that stuff. So it'll be fully available everywhere. And okay. I think you can get our album on the website too. Nice. So. Brandon, it's been a pleasure. I could talk to you all day about music, but I can't. (laughs) I have to pay pay the bills. (laughs) Understood. Me too, man. Yeah. All right. So take care of yourself. Have a good rest of the day. And thanks for talking to me. Okay. No problem at all. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, metalheads. That will do it for another week of Focus on Metal. I got to say that, uh, you know, the more I think about it, the Loyal Order is a great freaking name for a band. I really wish I'd thought of it. But, uh, you know, again, I keep thinking about it the whole time as I'm editing this, as I'm mixing this episode, and I'm like, God damn it, that is just a killer freaking name for a band. But I hope this has urged you guys or kind of just spurred on some interest of wanting to check out some more of the band's music. So, again, like I told you at the beginning, head over to YouTube, type in The Loyal Order. There's a video out there for Ready for Dead. Great tune. Check it out. And just imagine how that puppy would go down live and I'm hoping that they, uh, you know, we get out of all this crap show that we're in right now. They're able to tour and that they'll be hitting, you know, Boston area, New Hampshire, just somewhere that we can head out and check out the Loyal Order. Anyways, thanks for listening to us again this week. We appreciate that uh, each and every week you guys uh, hit us up. Check out what's going on on Focus on Metal. You guys keep listening. We'll keep bringing it to you. Got some great stuff lined up, as I had mentioned a few weeks ago, and that is still the case. And remember that, uh, you know, if you're not following us on iTunes or you're listening to us on one of the uh, internet stations that carries us, that we are also putting out bonus episodes, uh, you know, not every single week, but we've done quite a few of them recently. So you can go to either focusonmetal.net and go to the episodes page there and check out the bonus ones. I just did a great one a week or so ago with uh, Carl Kennedy talking about his new solo release, Warrior. But we've had other ones with Nita Strauss and Dean Budnick and just kind of filing them all in there. Hey, even Brian Wheat, we did a bonus episode with Brian Wheat at Tesla. So there's uh, those things to check out as well. So again, go to focusonmetal.net and you can go to the episodes page and check those out, stream them, download them, or uh, you can find us on iTunes as well and they're up there. But if you don't want to do that, you know, hey, we're here every single week. So uh, we enjoy doing it. You keep on listening. We'll keep doing it, like I said before. But anyways, for this week, that's it. Ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for myself, Richie, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. Be safe out there. And as always, remember. Focus on Metal. Everything else is insane. Still here? It's over. Go home.